0: We're going to Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to talk about the holiness of God. We're going to look at his holiness. We've been singing, have, have we not? Holy, holy, holy. We've been singing about the holiness of God, and we're going to see it in action. Here in Exodus 19, we see the holiness of God, the glory of God at work in an in invisible effect, and we're going to see how that holiness applies to us. Holy Spirit. We come to you now and ask for the anointing on the word, that you'd make it live, that you'd grace me to speak it so that we can hear your voice and not mine. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to every one of us, myself included, that this word would cut us like a two-edged sword and separate the soul from the spirit, and we would live and we would have strength, that we will have life afresh. We ask for that grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. The word holy is a strange word. It's a word we use all the time in our worship songs and repeatedly ascribe to God. Yet if asked to define the word, few would know what to say. We know it's a good thing and that it applies to God. We may even be aware that the Bible says it can apply to us as well. But again, we're not sure what difference that makes in our lives. Today, we'll investigate this wonderful word, starting by looking at a display of God's holiness on Mount Sinai. In this study, we'll define holiness and also the word glory. We'll discover its powerful effects on different kinds of people, and finally, we'll see what it means that Jesus Christ is willing to share his holiness with us, Exodus 19. I'll begin here at verse 9. Israel has finally come to Mount Sinai. We've come out of Egypt. We've come through the Red Sea. The Egyptian army's been destroyed. We've been provided with manna on the ground. We've had water from the rock. We've had deliverance from the Amalekites who have assaulted them uh, unsuspectingly. And now they have arrived at Mount Sinai. And what they're going to do at Mount Sinai is have a covenant with God. That's why they've arrived here. God said to Moses from the very beginning, you're going to come back here with the people. And so here they are back in Midian at Mount Sinai, and God wants to have a covenant. And a covenant is a formal bargain. It's the way the ancient world, we still do it actually. A marriage is an example of a covenant. It's where you have this agreement between two parties, or it can be a one-party covenant where one person just says, I'm going to do this and makes this solemn pledge. But it's often two parties, and in this case, it is a two-party covenant. God says, if you will obey these terms, and he lays out the Ten Commandments and some other things, but the Ten Commandments is the heart of it. He says, if you'll do these things, I will bless you. I'll bring you into the land I promised Abraham, and I will take all the diseases from you, and I will bless you and pour out my spirit on you. But the terms are this, that you will obey My covenant and so there's going to be a formal coming together where God speaks he intends actually for them to hear his voice and then they as a nation will say yes we accept these terms and so the two parties will enter into this solemn covenant together that's why they're here at the mountain let's see what happens verse 9 the Lord said to Moses behold I shall come to you in a thick cloud In order that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. God wants Moses' authority established. And then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Consecrate means to make yourself holy and clean and prepared for a meeting. So they wash their garments, take a bath undoubtedly, let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot through, your pick. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and they consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. Uh, Sexual relationships in a marriage are not evil in any way, but God wanted them totally focused spiritually and preparing themselves for this encounter. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain, two million people standing there. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. So you've got actually the mountain burning under the glory of God, as it has come in intensity upon it. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, this one, probably one tone, just growing louder and louder, quite intimidating. God answered, uh, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And when the Lord spoke to Moses, then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. He says, make sure they don't come through up onto the mountain trying to get a peek at me because I'll strike them dead. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them, strike them dead. This is not a friendly meeting in that sense. And then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you. And do not let the priests and the people break th- uh, through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. I, I skipped 23, excuse me. Moses says to him, oh no, they would never think of breaking through. We have put a little boundary, a little fence around it. And God says, I said, tell them not to come. Because he knew that the, the intimidation would wear off, and they'd want to sneak up the mountain. And then Moses went down to the people and told them. Now, this is a pretty awesome encounter, isn't it? I mean, you've got the mountain burning. You've got the ground shaking. You've got lightning and thunder and, and all of this going on. And anybody who even gets near the thing, even an animal touches the, the, the protective fence, they die. Wow. The holiness of God the holiness of God is, is in this situation and that's, it's a, this is an awesome and a kind of a, an intimidating deal. But let me point out to you something. When God comes and it's not always like that. Abraham and Sarah served him dinner. The ground wasn't shaken and there wasn't fire in the tent. But here... It's a totally different deal. What is it? Sometimes when the holiness of God comes, it comes like a burning fire. And other times it comes and it literally transforms a person until their face shines. Sometimes it brings death and sometimes the holiness of God brings life. But it is a power which will do something wherever it is. You don't ignore the power of God. And so he's come now and we're seeing the intimidating part of it. I actually believe that God wants to intimidate them. In fact, he says later that he does. He wants to scare the liver out of them. They're a fairly stubborn group, and he wants to make sure that when they enter into this covenant, they know that they're dealing with a God who can really get them if they don't. It's that simple. He says, I want you to understand if you're going to make these promises, I'm someone who if you, get, if you violate my covenant, you don't, you're going to be in trouble. I'm not someone to mess with. I want you to see what you're going to be up against. So he's, he's, he's intimidating them. And for a little while it worked. My beagle's the same way. Well <laughs> I turn my back. She pulled, a, she pulled a hamburger off the table the other day. She is not saved yet. I, I know many of you have prayed for her. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, let me make some definitions here. When we speak of the presence of God, two terms are commonly used, the term holiness and glory. What two terms? Yeah, they're strange terms, aren't they? And yet, when you understand them, they're enormously powerful. The word holy is used to describe the purity of God. We said that earlier. Ultimately, it means he is completely good, with no trace of anything bad in him at all. Therefore, the word holy tells us about God's character. When we say holy about him, we've said his character has no sin in it at all. Now think about it. What does the devil try to do? The, may, the way the devil tries to undermine things is to, to dirty God's character. Something horrible will happen, and the devil will come along and say, look what God did, or look what God didn't do. How come God, didn't he promise you this? Didn't he say he'd do this? How, did, how could this possibly have happened? And he begins to try to get us to doubt God and tr- uh, assume that God is a liar, whether God is selfish and cruel. We begin to have this perverted view of God. There are people all over America that are angry at God this minute as we speak. Bitterly angry at God. Refuse to worship him. Refuse to go to church. Not because they don't believe in him, but because they hate his guts. Now think of this. The truth about God is that he's holy. He does absolutely nothing that isn't pure. Just, loving, merciful, Right. You say, well, where does this bad stuff come from then? Ah, that's another subject. And in some cases, I can't tell you the, me- the mechanisms of how things have all happened. But I know this. And see, this is what holds a man or a woman through trouble. This is what holds a true believer through hard times. And there's some of us who've gone through terrible things and yet have not turned angry at God, have not turned on our heel and grown bitter at him. And I'll tell you why. It's because we believe he's holy. We believe he's holy, and so here's what we say through our minds. We say, I don't know why this happened. I don't know what's going on. I don't like what happened, but I know this about my God. He's good. He hasn't changed. He's still loving. He's still good. He's still wise. He's still everything I need him to be. I just, I don't understand. And I'm going to put this thing in a, in a to be answered later file, but I'm not going to turn on God. You see that? I'm not going to turn on God. And it's because of this, he's holy. It's because of this, his holiness is there. It's the best news in the world. I said it earlier, can you picture yourself in a universe where the God of the universe was not holy? You you have that in the Lord of the Rings movies, if any of you saw those. Really, you've got this horrendous evil, and then you've got these little midget men, you know, running around trying to... It's, it's really out of balance. I don't like the way it's portrayed. I mean, it's very great cinematography, but I mean, you've got these hordes of mucus-covered uh, monsters coming, coming at these few little people, you know, swinging their swords, and, and then you've got this huge throbbing eye and all of this. Evil is so predominant. Picture yourself that that's the God of heaven and earth. What a hideous thing it would be. And now picture Jesus Christ. That loving, merciful Lord who said, Let him who's without sin cast the first stone, who held children in his arms, who healed the sick, who stopped for beggars, who was absolutely pure with women and everyone else, and have him on your throne. What a difference, huh? Man, that'll make you shout, Holy, Holy, Holy. You'll join the angels going, Yes! Because he's holy. This is the most important truth in the universe, in my opinion. The next word I want to look at is the word glory. If holiness describes the purity of his character, the word glory describes the beauty of his appearance. The glory of God is the beauty that we see when we look at him. His presence appears as a brilliant light. Yet because it is his presence we're seeing, it's more than light. It isn't just that he shines with the light, but the light itself is something different. It's, a, it's the beautiful radiance which emanates from who he is, making it's the, it's the beauty which shines out from him because he's holy. We literally see the holiness, we see the loveliness of who he is radiating from him like light. And what light it is. You see, who he really is is so powerful. Just his being is so powerful that he has to actually shield us from it or it will destroy us. I'm rather certain that when you you read in the Bible that at the end times it says that there will be a fire that consumes the universe. It's not a fire. He didn't light a match. All he does is just unveil his glory and it just blasts the universe to pieces. That's the fire that Peter talks about, 2 Peter chapter 3. It's just the glory of God. Poor old Paul on the road to Damascus, he was, he was on his way to kill Christians, if you recall, and just in a full onslaught to, to slaughter Christians. And, and Jesus had it to hear with Paul. And, 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 he's, and he finally he said, so you're going to persecute me, are we? Well, I'll just think I'll show you who I am. And Paul's riding along on his little horse, and Jesus just goes, and just shows him his glory. And, and Paul is just blasted backwards, falls to the ground, uh, uh, scales cover his eyes, and they ooze, drips down his beard. <laughs> Ugh. All he saw was, a. Jesus just said, you want to persecute me? Let me show you who I am. And just gave him a good blast of his glory. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't go, Jesus didn't go. He, he just let him see him. And he fell to the ground in a trance, just slammed to the ground with his eyes ruined. That's the glory of God. I'm telling you, that's the holiness of God. See, that's the the good news and the bad news. The good news is one day you and I will have bodies that can bear that glory and not be destroyed by it. We're going to live in that glory and you too will shine with that glory. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be in bodies that can tolerate that. We're not in them yet. And so in his mercy, he literally shields us from the intensity of his glory. God's presence is a powerful force which affects everything it touches. It brings death to that which is not holy. Neither people nor animals, if you recall, could touch that mountain. If they did, they were, it was just the intensity of it. It's like high-charged, high-voltage electricity. They couldn't touch this thing. Let me give you an example of that. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'll show you this in action. Second Samuel, chapter 6. David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. There's no temple there or anything. He's just got a tent he's going to put it in. But it's been out in the countryside, and he doesn't want it uh, out there. He wants to begin worshiping and setting up a whole worship system. And he plans on bringing it in, and he doesn't read the word. And I don't know if he knew or didn't know, I think he probably did, that there was a proper way to transfer transfer the ark, that the Levites should carry it, and there was a whole process for this. Well, he just decided to be efficient and built a cart. Now, he built a new one. See, he's showing God respect. And he puts this ark, the ark of the covenant, that acacia wood box, which became the, it was the place, the focal point of God's holiness, of his glory. It's where the Shekinah, presence of God, dwelt the strongest, was with this Ark of the Covenant. And he puts it in this cart, and it says, verse 3, they placed the Ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. And so they brought it with the Ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the Ark, Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. So you're coming along and there's either a a ditch that the wheel of the ark, the cart goes down or maybe a rock or something. And the thing begins to tip and the ark starts to fall out of the cart. Uzzah does the perfectly natural thing. It's not sinful. It's not wrong. What he does, he reaches up to protect this thing to keep it from falling. That's the right thing to do. What happens? And the anger of the Lord, verse 7, burned against Uzzah. And God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David, he can't cope with this. He, it made him angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is today called Perez-Uzzah or Outburst Against Uzzah. You can see how they came to that uh, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And so he parked the thing in a house nearby and said, I'll just leave it there then if you're going to be like that. <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly what happened. So David just said, so you're going to be like that? We'll just leave this thing in a farmhouse. He'll show God. Anyway, what happened there? Was God angry at Uzzah? No, not not really. That wasn't the issue at all. The issue is Uzzah's just a guy. He's not a Levite. He's not set apart. He's not not been cleansed with the blood. None of that's been done. He's just a well-meaning farm boy. And he's there because David, I mean, this is David's fault. This is an innocent man who died because David is foolish in disregarding the things of God. And so, in all good intention, protect. but it's like grabbing a high voltage wire. And he was just struck dead by that in a minute. The holiness of God is a power. And if you're not holy, you can't touch it or it'll kill you. You see that? This is very powerful stuff we're talking about. But when we are holy... It makes a total difference. I want to show you that. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. One man is struck dead on the spot for just touching it. I want to show you what happens to another one. Exodus 33 verse 18. Moses here prays a remarkable prayer. He says to the Lord, I pray you, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, I myself will... Make my, all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And I've picked you. I'm going to do it. But he said, he, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. See that? If I just pull back the veil and let you see my glory, I'll fry you like a piece of chicken on the rock. Isn't going to work. And then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. I have to shield you from this power or you'll be destroyed. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back. You'll see it leaving. My face, however, you shall, shall not be seen. Now, what happens to Moses? Turn one page or so to the right. To chapter 34, verse 29. Let me show you the effect upon Moses. It came about, verse 29, chapter 34, it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke to them. And afterwards all the sons of Israel came near and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them... He put a veil, he covered himself with a, with a cloth, like putting a bag over his head, a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what, uh, what he'd been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, skin sh- his face shone, so Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. It was a pretty enduring change. It wasn't just momentary. He glowed. His face had a, he radiated a light off of him. Where did he get that? He, do you see the glory of God, the holiness of God, this, this power is literally beginning to lift him physically to another level. He's beginning to be changed in his very body by being in the presence of this intensity of the holiness of God. You and I will be too, by the way. Holiness is a power. You and I could no more approach the Lord than the people of Israel could climb Mount Sinai without being destroyed. We have no business chomping in to God's throne room. We would be killed in a moment. We have no privilege, no right to be there, except for this except for this. Now you're going to begin to appreciate, I think, and see afresh the miracle that Jesus has done. Jesus Christ has given us access right into the throne room of God so that you and I take it for granted. We just assume it. It's like, sure, no big deal. Uh, My mother reminds me of a a, a thing that happened here. I was up preaching one, I think it was a Wednesday night service, and uh, my little son Andrew uh, was looking for daddy, and he came in the side door and Kinda came in and looked around and I think he had any sort of spotted me and just looking at everybody (laughs) as he went, went over and just grabbed me around the leg. Just stood there. And I said, Well, hello honey, you know. Now not everybody can do that. (laughs) Better not. but my child can my child can my child can come right in here and sit beside me stand beside me anytime he wants to frankly I mean I'm, I'll I said, well, can I help you and I, 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 I helped him and we got him whatever he was he needed but he has an access No, almost nobody else has why? It's my son that's just different now I would have treated any child the same way frankly but do you see what I'm trying to say? All of a sudden, you and I come right into the presence of God, right into the throne room of God, and have this access in prayer, in worship, where he's longing for us. And I think we can take it for granted. We can lose sight of what a privilege it is, what an unusual thing it is that we have this right. And when we begin to see the holiness of God and see the, its, its impact in the Old Testament like this, and then realize what Jesus has done for us, it's stunning. Let's, let's look at what Jesus has done. Those who put their faith in Christ are now made holy in two di- different ways. First of all, you and I who believe in Jesus Christ, who make him our Lord and our Savior, I'll define it more later, we are given the gift of holiness. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Hebrews 10. Hebrews is really the gospel for people that know the Old Testament. It's a wonderful book. Verse 19. It says here, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, notice where we enter, and he's talking about the Holy of Holies as though we go right into the Holy of Holies. that was the inner sanctum of the of the temple and the and the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, and where the Shekinah glory dwelt in times so powerful that if a priest walked in there unprepared, they 'd be struck dead. same thing. in fact, they used to tie a rope on the poor fellow's leg when they would go in once a year because if he was found unsuitable he could come. they'd have to drag out a body. they did he put a. Lot you know, boy, I'd be in prayer, wouldn't you? I mean, if I were the high priest, I'd be all ready to go. I mean, you know, drag out this body. Because of this high voltage, this, you just the holiness of God cannot tolerate unholiness. The two don't go together. Light doesn't go with darkness. It won't fit. They don't work together. And so he says, therefore, since we have confidence, you and me, we go boldly into the holy place. What a stunning statement. How do we do it? Boldly by the, we boldly enter in by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus. And then he says, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Let me explain. I think it's Matthew 27, verse 50, 51, something like that. I give it to you in there. When Jesus was crucified, do you recall this? There's a statement in Matthew that says, As he was dying, the veil in the temple was rent in two from the top, it said, to the bottom. Now, the veil would have been a curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the outer, outer court. It would have looked like this, only it was a foot thick. I mean, that's not easy to rip. It's a foot thick, and it's ripped from the top to the bottom. And when it's ripped open, suddenly the Holy of Holies is exposed. There's nothing, no barrier any longer. You can go right on into it. What he says here is, God has inaugurated a new way into the holy place, into the inner sanctum, into the very presence of the Shekinah glory of God, the holiness and glory of God. And here it is. It isn't the ripping of the curtain, but it was the ripping of Jesus' body. That is, he was shattered for us and ripped for us. There is now an access, an avenue into the Holy of Holies through the ripped body of our Lord and Savior. But it's a new and a living way, for he's resurrected. He's resurrected. As his body was ripped, so the veil was ripped, and you and I now have access through his ripped body into the very Shekinah glory of God. You and I, today in Christ, could have marched up to the top with Moses and been completely unharmed. We could have walked into that cloud and thunder and lightning into that shaking, and we would no more have been harmed than Moses. For in Christ, we are totally righteous. It is, first of all, a gift of God, Let me d- just give you an illustration you've seen me use many times. And I never can find my... Oh, there we are. I've used this illustration over and over again, but I can think of none better. If the Bible represents Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that you have been placed... This is you and you've been on a diet. It says that when you believe on Jesus Christ, you are literally placed in him. And he surrounds you now. You are enveloped by Christ. Now, here's the, this is the mystery of it. How can you and I enter into the holy place? I mean, let's get practical here. How's, how's your week been? How's your speech been? How's your love been? How has your attitudes been? How have your behavior been? How Should we go on down the line? And, you, and that's, this is the problem, and this is why this is so important. If you get a hold of this truth, it'll affect your prayer life. If you get a hold of this truth, it'll affect your worship life. If you don't understand the truth I'm telling you right now, it'll affect your prayer life, it'll affect your worship life. Because the devil, when he tempts you to sin, doesn't really care that you do some nasty thing. What he wants is to steal your faith. He wants to steal your confidence. He wants to leave you ashamed and unable to come into the presence of God. And you know the feeling. You know the feeling when somebody says, would you pray for me? And you think in your heart, oh man, don't ask me. I've had a bad week. I am, I am so bad. God's not going to listen to my prayer. What's the point? There's no point in me praying. How many have felt that? How many tell the truth? Come on, I, if you haven't felt that, we're going to send the devil to your address because this is, this is not fair. I know you have. I know how he works. This is the oldest game in the world. And so he's, and then you, you stand here today to worship, and some of you are feeling, oh, he doesn't want me to worship. He, he doesn't even want me in, here, in this room. I shouldn't even be here. That's an old game. And if you don't understand what I'm telling you right now, it'll win. The game will hold. He'll get you. And what you have to come back to is this thing, is there's two ways God works holiness in us. And the first way, and the most important way, is that he envelops us in Christ. Simply by putting our whole heart and faith in Jesus Christ, we are enveloped in his righteousness so that regardless of how my week has been, when I come before the Lord, there's a new and living way right into the Holy of Holies and I am welcomed there, not because I've had a great week or have earned such holiness, because it has been given to me by faith in Christ. Do you understand? This is what we're about to remind ourselves and refresh ourselves in when we take the Lord's table. That's why the broken body and the shed blood. The new and living way. This is why we can worship. This is why we can come into his presence. Now there's a second way that he gives us holiness. And that is by training us to live holy lives. He is our heavenly father. Here's how it works. You and I, by faith, are covered with Jesus Christ and so are holy. And this buys us time for practical holiness to be worked into our lives as Jesus raises us by the Holy Spirit, over the years. He's, he doesn't intend to leave people just covered with his righteousness. The Bible says, be ye holy even as I am holy. He, he wants us to be holy. He wants my speech changed, my attitudes changed, my, my, my nature and treatment of other people changed. He wants all of that brought into line. I'm to become like Jesus. So are you. But that's a process. It's a process that takes the rest of my life and I'm sure isn't finished even when I'll die. But I'm being moved in that direction, constantly disciplined by the Holy Spirit. So are you. You can't get away from it. You decide to be stubborn, he's more stubborn than you are. I mean, that's when the hammer starts coming down and he gets real firm. But it's all his love saying, no, no, you will change. You will change. I don't want to change. Tough. (laughs) Neither I nor your wife can stand it any longer. You will change. Or your husband. But while that's happening, while I'm being made like Jesus, while I'm not like him now in, cert- in, in areas, some more than others, I am still covered, enveloped in the holiness of Jesus. So that when I come before God, I am seen as, as pure and as clean as Jesus Christ. So even when I have a bad day, even in my worst weeks, I still am welcomed into his presence. I'm still called a son. I'm still dearly loved and my prayers are heard. Doesn't make sense, does it? This is called mercy. This is called grace. This is why we celebrate the grace of God. This is the holy God we serve. This is how he's arranged for us. He's determined to have us. He's determined to have us and he's made a way that any person in the world can do this. We can put our faith in Jesus Christ and let him parent us then into maturity over the rest of our lives. We can do this. This is doable. And the good news is, we don't have to fear the holiness of God any longer. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. This Jesus of ours has been experienced every temptation you have, only worse. Worse, one, because the devil really tried to make him fall, but worse, two, because he actually never gave in to them. You and I usually give in pretty early. And so we never experienced the full temptation. He went through the whole thing. I guarantee you, he was tempted with anger. He was tempted with lust. He was tempted with you name it. Everything, the whole whole nine yards got dumped on him. And yet without sin. And so when you and I face temptation, he understands what we're going through. He knows the power of this junk. And he's compassionate to us. So it says, we don't have a high priest who doesn't get it or hasn't experienced this, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near, what? With confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 10, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let me read you one more passage. Hebrews, one more time. Chapter 12. Verse 18. Does tell me this doesn't, Pull it together. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched to a blazing fire, to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sounds of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you've come to something even more dramatic, you've come to Mount Zion, the mountain where the temple of the Lord is in heaven, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads, untold, uncountable multitudes of angels, to the general assembly, the great gathering of the church of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's all you and I are coming to We're not coming to just some crummy smoking mountain. We're coming. We're being invited. We're enclosed in Christ now. You and I charge right into heaven. Right into the throne room of God. Unafraid. Boldly and confidently. This is what Jesus has made for us. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant which... And to the sprinkled blood, his blood like a priest, sprinkling us, making us holy. That's what it did. Better than the blood of Abel. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to tell you how you can know that you know for absolute certain that you're holy in Jesus Christ. You can know that. There's are in a person in the room that can't leave today knowing they are completely holy. They are completely forgiven, completely washed, completely loved of God, welcomed into his presence. That The, the Shekinah glory of God, the, that wonderful light and presence and power will never harm you, but will only give you life and ultimately transform you and lift you up into eternal resurrected bodies. You can know that. You can absolutely know that. First of all, you have to understand this. It's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't get it, you don't get it. But, God, but you can ask the Lord to show you. That is that you need forgiveness. That you are a sinner. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit's been sent to convict us of sin. Sin that we don't believe in him. Not just that I've done a bunch of bad stuff, but that I've lived independently, rebellious, rebelliously, and self-centeredly without God. That doesn't go away. I still have that tendency in my old nature. If I weren't clothed with Christ I'd get burnt like a piece of chicken by the glory of God. I would have no right to be in his presence. I still have that tendency and that flesh. Do you? So it isn't like you see it once and back 50 years ago I knew I was a sinner. But it starts. You get saved the first time you see it. The first time you see it and then you have to see another thing and you have to. that is what I've told you. You have to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit says he will reveal Jesus Christ to us. You'll see his righteousness and what he did, this new and living way through his flesh. And it'll make sense in your heart. You'll say, I do believe that. I believe he's the son of God and I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that his holiness, his goodness, his purity will cover me. I believe this is true. You have to to make that statement, but there's a third. There's a third thing that has to be done. And this is really where it all engages. This is where the new birth finally comes together. And that is when you make the decision to abandon all and follow Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if any man comes after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. He says that if you want the kingdom of God, you have to be like the man who went out and found, it in the f- found a treasure in the field and went and sold all that he had that he might possess the treasure So I'm not telling you the truth if I say you can pray a little cheap prayer. Say, yeah, Jesus, thanks for dying for me. Thanks for my sins. Amen. And you got it. There's a decision that goes on, and you know what the price will be. If you want this treasure, there's a decision that says, I will give Jesus Christ everything. I don't know what that means. I don't know how it'll work out in my life. Don't even go there. Don't even speculate. Just say, I will follow you, Lord. Wherever you lead, I will be your son, I will be your daughter, I'm yours. He'll, he'll help you with that commitment the rest of your life, but you have to be willing to make it. And when you do, you'll know. You will know. I mean, you won't even, won't be that I tell you, your heart will tell you, whoa, he's in there, he's with me. How many of us have been in the middle of some of the lowest points of our lives, made some of the biggest mistakes we've ever made, felt like mud, and then heard the Holy Spirit say, I love you. Have you heard it? Isn't it it annoying? I mean, it's like, you can't love me. Get out of here. You shouldn't even be in the room. And he just stands there and says, no, I never left. I love you. This is what we're here for. This is the grace of God. Why don't you pray after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for showing me my sin right now. I repent of it. But I'm not afraid of you. Because you're a merciful and a loving God. And so today I freely confess my sin. All that I've said, done, thought that's wrong, unholy, I confess it. And I thank you for Jesus Christ. You sent your Son to make a new and living way for me through his torn flesh and his resurrected body. I am forgiven. I believe it. I stand on that truth. I am holy in Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I choose today to take up my cross, letting go of control of my life, putting my hand in yours, and following wherever you will lead me. From this day forward, I will serve you, follow you with all that I'm able to do. I choose you as my Lord. And right now, with all my heart, I thank you that I am holy in Jesus Christ. Born from above, a child of God, On my way to heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, given purpose and meaning the rest of my life. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. com. That's LifeLessonsPublishing dot com. There, you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.